Earning a lot of money is not the end-all be-all. It's not going to make most people feel fulfilled and satisfied. Career success itself is great, makes you feel good. But as I often say when I speak, I tell people individually, you will be more remembered for your acts of human kindness than you will for your accomplishments. I don't mean to make this sound dour, so keep that in mind. If you go to somebody's wake, they don't say, oh, and so-and-so passed away, and my goodness, they got promoted at this point, and they got a bigger than average salary increase, and they got more reporting responsibility. No, they talk about their acts of human kindness, what made them human. What do you want to be most remembered for? When you're not around, what would you like people to say? Is it how much money you make, awards you've received, or anything that points to your personal accomplishments? What about how you went out of your way to help a friend or a stranger? Or maybe how, through your business, your job, or volunteer work, you dedicated your life to change someone else's. This is the story of Gary Cohen, exemplary social impact leader, founder of Together for Girls and the Rutgers Institute for Corporate Social Innovation. This is Camille. And this is Maverick. And this is Sincerely Human, a podcast that tells stories of kindness in action from the lens of today's most inspiring humans. So I was born in Queens, New York, and spent the first nine years of my life living in Long Island. Gary's parents split up when he was young. He recalls spending time between New York with his dad and Fort Lee, New Jersey with his mom. But that's not all Gary remembers about his childhood. I was sort of coming to age in the midst of it. The civil rights movement, that is. The movement happened in the 1950s and 60s. It was a struggle for social justice for African Americans to gain equal rights under the law in the United States. And... We had a, a woman from South Carolina, a wonderful young woman, who uh, lived in our house and spent a huge amount of time raising my brother and I. And she was following the civil rights movement and Dr. Martin Luther King very closely. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. So we used to listen uh, to Dr. King's speeches in her room and watch the broadcasts. And I think some of my social consciousness was uh, the seeds were planted at that time. And then having gone through a broken family probably sensitized me even more to uh, the human impacts of that type of change. In retrospect, Gary's life unfolded in a way that made perfect sense. And every chapter had a purpose. I went to Rutgers College. And I graduated in 1980. Anyone listening, I don't look as old as that sounds. He took up business administration. He admits he hardly studied in college. And as a result, job opportunities weren't great at the time. And I ended up working on Newark Bay on a construction site, a state project to build a sewage treatment facility. And I can tell you there were quite a variety of smells, none of them good. And then down the block, there was a rendering plant that burned animal fat to make soap. And when the wind came in from there, it was the worst of all. Gary basically worked out of a trailer, 
as some sort of administrative assistant for a year. So this was great motivation to go back to school. And I applied to Rutgers Business School. At the time, it was called the Rutgers Graduate School of Management in Newark. I remember like it was yesterday, driving up, putting my application in. I was accepted, and I had learned my lesson about not studying hard, so I studied really hard. In business school, Gary ended up graduating first of his class with a 4.0 GPA. I still have dreams to this day, all these years later, that I'm missing a test and somehow, you know, we probably all, we, ha- we all have it. We all have those dreams. I mean, you would think after all these years, I would, I would not have those dreams anymore, but I still do. And I have to say that experience at Rutgers Business School was absolutely formative to me because actually that's the first time in my life I had a real taste of accomplishment. It was probably the first time I really applied myself and I found out that when you apply yourself and dedicate yourself, in that case to education, whatever it may be, you know, you get out so much more than you put into it. So even if I was studying three, four hours a day, I didn't feel tired from that or like I was misusing my time. Perhaps for the first time I was properly using my time. A few months after he graduated from business school, Gary worked as a research marketing analyst for global medical company BD or Becton Dickinson and Company. And I have to say, BD has been a phenomenal company to work in. It's an extremely ethical, good company that has served society so well pretty much in every decade. I can go back to every decade. Uh, Helping Jonas Salk when he did the mass campaign human clinical trial for polio, developing the first sterile medical device for the American Red Cross. There's a very rich history there. So I'm both a student and then later a teacher in that history. As Gary's role at BD expanded, He eventually ran about 65% of the company as president of the medical segment. But in addition to his success in the private sector, his life took a sharp turn towards humanitarian work when he traveled to sub-Saharan Africa. The first trip I took was to Mali for about two weeks in 2002 to immunize women of childbearing age against uh, tetanus. And then... I traveled in December 2003 with a delegation of the world's health leaders, and it was quite a delegation. I was honored to be on it to four countries in sub-Saharan Africa to study the HIV and AIDS pandemic. And from that point, I knew that this was the path I was going to go down. Gary's trips to Africa left an indelible mark and influenced choices he had to make at certain points in his career. In 2004, I met a young girl, 14 years old, named Eunice. And I met her at the Niambani village, which is a wonderful home for HIV-positive children run by the Catholic Church outside of Nairobi. They have about 175 children, all HIV-positive, from newborns to 18-year-olds in their care at any given time. She wasn't part of that. She was, in effect, rescued that day by someone who was affiliated with them. And she was an orphan. Uh, She was alone. Her parents had died from HIV. She had been abused, and I was told she was HIV-positive. And I thought about her circumstances and kind of the cards that life dealt her and how many others were like her. And one recurring theme I ran into during something like maybe 30 plus trips to Sub-Saharan Africa to 12 different countries over a course of about a decade was that in high HIV infected populations, roughly three out of four infected youth, adolescents and young adults, were girls and young women. Again, three out of four adolescent youth afflicted by HIV were girls and young women. Not boys, not young men. And to Gary, this stuck out like a sore thumb. People were not talking about that at the time, which really surprised me. They were talking about access to treatment, of course, and use of condoms. But the social underpinnings 
of the disease spread. And at the time when for every one person being put on treatment, there were five to six new infections occurring. Having that firsthand experience and learning about this terrifying statistic compelled Gary to tackle this problem head on. In 2009, Gary founded Together for Girls, a global public-private partnership dedicated to ending violence against children, with a particular focus on sexual violence against girls. Partners include UNICEF, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, UNAIDS, and other incredible organizations. We do three things. National house-to-house surveys interviewing children age 13 to young adults age 24 about their experiences with violence, particularly sexual violence. And that's done without their parents there so they can speak openly. Those national household surveys are very broad in scope. They're like a million dollars per country to do these surveys, thousands of interviews. That's enabled us to amass the world's largest database on the health impacts and human rights impacts of violence against children. We now have data on over 10% of the world's population of children, of adolescents. Using the data as their guide, the Together for Girls partnership aims to raise awareness, promote evidence-based solutions, and galvanize coordinated action to end violence against girls and boys. The third pillar of Together for Girls is global advocacy. Today, sexual violence is in the news almost every week. Think about what's happened with uh, the Me Too movement or Jeffrey Epstein more recently. Well, back then, people were not talking about this. Together for Girls, in many respects, was a pioneer in that respect. So our global advocacy work enabled this, helped enable this to get into the global discourse. Gary says that when it comes to solving the problems of sexual violence, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Sexual violence has been around as long as people have been around. It's not going to go away overnight, but we're making progress. And one of the things that we've worked with our partner agencies on is developing a framework that's called Inspire, which provides basically a guide for countries to be able to implement actions that can help bring this issue more under control. Some of these actions include providing training at police stations on how to deal with children who are victims of sexual violence. Another is training courts on how to take testimonies. Together for Girls recently celebrated its 10th year anniversary. But leading this organization is just a fraction of Gary's multifaceted journey. Gary is also a board director of UNICEF USA. He's also the president of the BD Foundation, the philanthropic arm of BD. But weaved into all of this is Gary's deep connection with social impact work. When we make choices that don't elevate our human character, it's not that we're so much hurting others. We may or may not, depending on the choice. We're reducing ourselves. So when you make the right choices, and here it's really about doing good, being good. When you make those choices, you elevate your character. You feel better, and that enables you to do more. So I think if you're looking to get involved, Don't make excuses to yourself. Don't say there's no time. There's always time. Be choiceful about what interests you most and find a good organization, either locally, statewide, nationally, globally. There's plenty of them out there. Gary says we should choose our unplanned paths deliberately. And that sounds like a paradox. But then again, when we look back on our own lives, there are a lot of things we can't control. What matters are the choices we make when we find ourselves in these detours or forks in the road. I think the greatest piece of wisdom that I picked up, uh, and happened to be from a rabbi, he said that the body wants to feel good, the ego wants to look good, the soul wants to be good. And what does that mean? Well, the body is always seeking physical pleasure, you know, more sleep, 
more food, more drink, sometimes drugs. And if, when you feed the body, and of course you want to take pleasure in good food, you want to keep yourself fit, but when it gets out of control, then problems happen. Addictions, obesity. So we can't just feed the body. The body's always looking for pleasure. The ego wants to look good. People love promotions and think about fame, being at the peak. I can tell you from experience, having done a lot of public speaking, having done a little bit of acting years back, it's a wonderful feeling. It doesn't last. You know, think about entertainers that are in the center of the limelight, and then one day they're not popular anymore. Not only do you come down from that, you can come down pretty hard. You need to be very mature to sustain yourself through the ups and downs of things that feed the ego. The soul wants to be good. It's the only source of true, lasting fulfillment. And to be good means doing good. Of course, we have to feed the body. There's nothing wrong with feeding the ego every now and then. Just don't let it get out of control. Feed the soul. And if you turn yourself to doing good in the world, you'll live a better life. You'll be better to everyone around you and perhaps get a little glimpse at that secret of life. Again, wealth and success are not bad things. But as we go about our day-to-day -day lives, we might feel that nudge, that sort of longing for a bigger purpose, one that goes beyond personal gain. There was a social, is a social awareness where youth that are entering employment are looking for purpose in their careers and their lives, as well as career success. So sort of putting all that together, I thought, we needed to start building this into business school curriculum so that we can have more business leaders in the future incorporating positive social impact into their business strategies and their personal leadership agenda. Gary saw this gap as an opportunity. In 2018, Gary launched the Rutgers Institute for Corporate Social Innovation at the Rutgers Business School in Newark, New Jersey. Their mission is to educate current and new generations who will lead businesses that are a force for good. Noah Gaffney helps lead the Institute as its executive director. Noah is another social impact leader. She was a global leadership fellow and previously served as the communications head for the Global Shapers community, a network of young change makers at the World Economic Forum in Geneva, Switzerland. I think the vision here is that Rutgers will become among the premier institutions, not just in the United States, but globally in building the future generations of business leaders who focus on achieving positive social impact. But your career, your job, your schoolwork, that's just one area of your life where you can achieve more. There are others, like those pockets of your everyday life where you have a chance to be kind and be good. And these moments of humanity, as Gary puts it, are what feeds our soul. I mean, we get caught up in day-to-day -day life. There's no way to avoid that, but we have to be able to take a step back and elevate above it and do so often enough that we don't lose sight of what's really important in life. And that's why those acts of kindness are what stand out. So we have to reconnect. You can't connect to that 100% of the time, but have to be willing to reconnect to it enough because then you start to get some insight as to what we're really here for. If you want to learn more about the Rutgers Institute for Corporate Social Innovation, head on over to business.rutgers.edu RICSI. If you're also interested in raising awareness and advocating to end violence against girls and boys, we urge you to check out Together for Girls at togetherforgirls.org. All the links are in our show notes. That's it for today's episode. We've been pretty busy with the events surrounding the UN General Assembly. 
If you want to check out what we've been up to, you can follow us on Instagram at SincerelyHuman and on Twitter at human underscore media. We can't wait to share the stories we've been working on these past few months. So please subscribe to the podcast to stay tuned. If you want to help us out, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you're listening from there. Thank you always for your support. And remember, be good to one another. This show is produced by Human Group Media, an award-winning social good podcast company. Human Group Media works with thought leaders, brands, and organizations to inspire social change through the power of audio storytelling.